reading from 1 Samuel 7, verse 3. And Samuel said to the whole house of Israel, If you are returning to the Lord with all your hearts, then rid yourselves of the foreign gods and the Ashtoreths, and commit yourselves to the Lord and serve him only. And he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So the Israelites put away their Baals and Ashtoreths and served the Lord only. Then Samuel said, Assemble all Israel at Mizpah, and I will intercede with the Lord for you. When they had assembled at Mizpah, they drew water and poured it out before the Lord. On that day they fasted, and there they confessed, We have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel was leader of Israel at Mizpah. When the Philistines heard that Israel had assembled at it, Mizpah, the rulers of the Philistines came up to attack them. And when the Israelites heard of it, they were afraid because of the Philistines. They said to Samuel, Do not stop crying out to the Lord our God for us, that he may rescue us from the hand of the Philistines. Then Samuel took a suckling lamb and offered it up as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. He cried out to the Lord on Israel's behalf, and the Lord answered him. While Samuel was sacrificing the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to engage Israel in battle. But that day the Lord thundered with loud thunder against the Philistines and threw them into such a panic that they were routed before the Israelites. The men of Israel rushed out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines, slaughtering them along the way to a point below beth Car. Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen. He named it Ebenezer, saying, Thus far has the Lord helped us. So the Philistines were subdued and did not invade Israelite territory again. Throughout Samuel's lifetime, the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines. The towns of Ekron to Gath that the Philistines had captured from Israel were restored to her. And Israel delivered the neighboring territory from the power of the Philistines. And there was peace between Israel and the Amorites. Good morning. The movie Braveheart recounts the story of the Scottish people who are enslaved, oppressed by the English. It's a horrible time in their history. But in the movie, things begin to change when William Wallace shows up. William Wallace calls the Scots to live for something higher, something more than just survival. He calls them to live for freedom, to discover what true freedom is. Today we're in 1 Samuel chapter 7. And as I thought about the chapter, there's a lot of parallels to the story of the Scots. You see, this chapter begins with the Israel, Israeli people, people of Israel, 
enslaved to the Philistines, not experiencing freedom. They're enslaved to sin. They're lost. They're helpless. And the chapter ends with them being free conquerors, trusting God as they never had before. What makes the difference? For the Scots, William Wallace showed up. For Israel, Samuel shows up in chapter 7. Samuel, who hadn't been heard of for over 20 years, shows up. He makes the difference. We live in a culture of enslaved people. Many of us battle. God created us for freedom, and yet we're not experiencing that freedom. And so as we look through chapter 7, I think it's a wonderful opportunity for us to consider what ways am I still enslaved and how do I move towards freedom? And secondly, how can we lead other people around us who are enslaved and help move them towards a greater freedom in their lives? So let's pray and we'll see what this passage has to say to us. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for this passage. Thank you for Samuel, who led the people to real freedom. Lord, if there's areas in our lives that we need to experience a greater freedom in, speak to us today. If there's people you want us to love better by helping lead them to freedom, speak to us today. By the power of your Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Samuel begins, I want to move one verse back from where Laura began reading, because I think what Samuel does is very significant here first. What he does is he watches for God's moving. That's where he begins to lead the people to freedom. He watches for God's moving. Listen to verse 2 of chapter 7. From the day that the ark remained at Kiriath-Jerim, the time was long, for it was twenty years. And all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. As the old saying goes, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. (laughs) God has to prepare the hearts of someone before you can lead them to true freedom, right? Have you noticed that? You can't force someone to listen to the truth. Samuel disappears for over 20 years. He's not heard from. In all those years when Israel was deciding, oh, well, uh, we've got to get rid of the Philistines. Let's do battle. Let's take the ark. And in chapter 4, they take the ark into battle and they get horribly defeated because they're not going with God. They're going on their own plan. And then... The ark comes back, but even then they're still trying to manipulate and compromise and doing all kinds of things to somehow get themselves free, get get their life to work. They're doing everything except ultimately what God says. So Samuel waits a lot of years, and he watches. And in verse 2 we see that they lamented after the Lord. There was a softening that had happened through those years of trying to do it on their own and they finally reached a place of, it's not working. (laughs) It's not working. 
We need the Lord rather than trying to do it on our own. God had plowed their hearts and softened the ground so that now they were ready to listen to truth. Like in gardening. You know, when spring comes, the ground's hard. And if you throw seeds at it, what happens? Nothing. can't grow because the seeds have to go into ground that's been plowed, it's been softened, it's been broken up of a hardness. And then the seeds and the nutrients can penetrate and root growth can begin to happen. And it's the same with our hearts. God has to work to bring softening in our hearts and our lives. Otherwise, the person can't hear the truth. It won't penetrate. It's like throwing pearls before swine, right? Nothing, nothing can be really entered into and taken. Like my dad, I tried to share the truth with him many years. But he told me at one point, he said, I looked at Christianity when I was 27. I decided it wasn't true. Don't ever talk to me again about it, period. It wasn't until he was 72 years old that he went, began to experience poor health, heart issues and all, and God began to use that to soften his heart. And I had the privilege of sitting by his bed as he received Christ. God had to plow the ground. It's such a reminder to us, I think, that if you're going through a hard time, if you feel like God is plowing the ground and you're struggling because things are getting broken up in your life, things are getting overturned, don't resist. Realize that God is breaking you of your dependence on your own attempts to make life work, just like he was with the Israelites. Is life falling apart? Well, then God is at work. And I plead with you to not not let it harden your hearts, but rather let it soften your hearts. As the old saying goes, the same hot water that hardens the egg softens the carrot. Don't be an egg. Be a carrot. Let what God puts you through soften you so that he can accomplish his purposes in your life. And if you want to help someone else that you see making bad choices, maybe they're enslaved, they're struggling, watch for God to work. Watch for him to bring things into their lives, to plow the ground and break up those clods and Watch for a softened heart. You can't force it, but you can watch for it. And as you see that happening, as you see God beginning to move in their lives, bringing things into their lives to soften their hearts, that's when you can move in with truth that they'll be ready to hear at that point. So, first, what Samuel does, what do we see? He watches for God to work in the Israelites' lives. Then secondly, he points them to repentance. Points them to repentance. Samuel spoke to all the house of Israel, saying, verse 3, if you return to the Lord with all your heart. I want to stop there for a moment. It's a Hebrew participle. It's an ongoing thing. It's a continuous thing. Probably a better translation would, would be, if you are returning, and notice it's a question, if... If you are returning, if you're entering this process, Israel, 
of turning back to the Lord, then here's some things you need to do. And that word return is a word that could easily be translated repent. If you are repenting, because the word repent simply means to turn from the way you're going and go the other direction. And so Samuel says, okay, if you really are, he leaves it in their hands. He encourages them. This is your choice. But if you are repenting, then here's where you need to go. If you want to turn back to God, turn away from trying to make your life work because things aren't working for you. If your heart's been softened, then here's what you need to do to move in a new direction. He leaves the question up to them. And I think it's a reminder that it's a process. Repentance. Returning to God isn't just a one thing, one time thing. It's if you are in this process of repenting, of returning to God, here's what you need to do. Three steps, he mentions. First, remove your idols. Remove the foreign gods and, and the ashtoreth from your houses, from your homes. What's he calling them to? Well, we find in a couple of verses later that the gods, the foreign gods, there was Baal in particular. Baal and Ashtoreth. These were Canaanite gods. Baal was considered the god of the storm. And he was a fertility god. It was part of their culture, the Canaanite culture, to worship Baal. And then Ashtoreth is a fertility goddess. So these were the two they would look to, and they were the primary gods of that area. And they would put little figurines of these gods on their mantles in their homes and they would do little offerings to them if they wanted to have good crops that year if they wanted to have a healthy child be born they wanted to deal with sickness or whatever they'd bring offerings maybe they'd bake or bring wine or they'd bring different things that they thought these gods might want to please them it was part of the culture in which they lived And the Israelites, though they lamented after the Lord, they hadn't gotten rid of their idols. They were still trying to keep a foot in each world. Well, you know, I want to stay safe. I want to make sure things go okay. So, yeah, I want to keep these idols here. But, yeah, I'll follow the Lord, too. I'll try to do both. (laughs) It doesn't work. It doesn't work. They were still hanging on to the old ways. And so... Samuel says, get rid of those idols, those things you depend on for your security and your success in life. Get rid of them. And you may say, well, I don't have any idols on my mantle. (laughs) Uh, We're just as big as idolaters today. Our idols maybe look a little different. Our idols tend to be maybe knowledge, money, things, status, power, control, Sex, intimacy. These are just some of the things we look to for a fruitful life. If I have this, then I'll be okay. This is the good life. I just wonder if someone were to come into your home with very discerning eyes, what idols they would see. What are the things you look to for the good life? What would they see in my home? Samuel says, if you want to repent, if you're repenting, if you really want to come to the Lord and find life in Him, then you've got to look at the idols of your life and you've got to get rid of them. Again, it's a process. 
But I encourage you to ask the Lord, what are the idols of my life? What do you want me to let go of, to get rid of? What are the things I've been hanging on to for my security, for my life? And clean house. Secondly, Samuel says, then fix your heart on the Lord. And my translation says, direct your heart to the Lord. But I think just as good a translation, maybe better, would be fix your heart on the Lord, to establish your heart on the Lord. I picture a zip line. Don't know if you've ever been on a zip line, but you know, you get in this harness and there's this big line that goes a long ways and you clip yourself to that, the line and then you are putting all your weight on that line <laughs> and you're trusting it to hold you. I, I think that's a great picture of what Samuel's saying here. Fix, clip your heart, your life to Jesus. Direct your heart to him. Clip your life to him so you're dependent on him and take a ride. (laughs) It'll be a wild ride, but it'll be the ride of your life. In other words, what he's saying is get Jesus on the throne of your life. Whatever's been on the throne, you've got to move that and you decide you want him to truly be Lord. Choose to make him, spending time with him, the most important priority of your life. Have you ever put yourself in a situation where if God doesn't come through, if God isn't real, if God, if it isn't all true, if God doesn't come through, you're lost. I think that's a good picture of fixing your heart, clipping your life to Jesus, fixing yourself on him. If God doesn't come through, I'm lost. And then third, Samuel says, if you want to repent, repentance looks this way, serve him only. In other words, demonstrate your life is fixed on him, clipped to him by how you live, by your actions. Choose to look for ways to serve God with your life, to live a life of loyalty to him, following him, trusting him. Think, okay, God, is my time My energy, my passion, really yours? I want to serve you only, Samuel says. It's convicting for all of us, isn't it? Because we all have ways we can grow to really put him first and serve him only. Many of us are Bronco fans. We're passionate about the Broncos. I'm a Bronco fan. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. But let it be a picture for you of what God wants for you. To live with that kind of passion, that kind of loyalty to Him. So that you can be maybe a Bronco fan, but when people look at your life, they say, oh, but there's something even greater in this person's life. Far greater, in fact. And that's the Lord. You see, that's a picture of repentance, these things. Putting off the idols, fixing our hearts on Jesus, and choosing to serve him only. And recognize it's a process, right? It is a process. We've got to keep coming back to it. We've got to do it again. We repent again. Someone has well described the Christian life as constant repentance. Never stops. 
But is that where you're moving? Is If you are repenting, if you are in that process, then let's do it. Let's do it. That's what Samuel calls them to. And it's a reminder to us that if you want to help someone else move towards freedom in Christ, you see their lives, they're trapped, they're enslaved, they're not doing well. You need to watch and see how God is plowing their lives. But at some point, you do have to call them to repentance. You do have to say, okay, you want freedom? You want to be whole? Life's not going well? Here's what you need to do. Here's what it looks like. Let me help you. Let me walk with you to help you give up your idols, to begin to fix your heart on Jesus, to begin to truly serve him alone. So Samuel begins by watching for God to work. Then he points them to repentance. And thirdly, he leads them to worship. Verse 5. Then Samuel said, well, they responded, which is amazing. Verse 4. Let me stop there for a sec. So the sons of Israel removed the Baals and the Ashtaroth and served the Lord alone. They responded. That's incredible. But there's more that they need to do if they're really going to be free in their relationship with God, free in their lives. So in verse 5, Samuel said, Gather all Israel to Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. They gathered, drew water, etc. It goes on to talk about, essentially, a huge corporate worship service. (laughs) You see, the next step, if you want to bring people to real freedom, is to call them to a deeper worship in the community. Of Christ. Samuel calls them to gather together, much like William Wallace did the Scots, only where he calls them to pluck up their courage. Samuel calls them to essentially pluck up their faith, (laughs) to put their life in Jesus' hands for us so they could seek the Lord together in worship. If you want to help someone else, begin to experience real freedom in Christ. They've begun to repent. They've begun to move towards Jesus and trusting Him. Or maybe that's you. The next step is learning to worship Him, to really put Him on the throne of your life in a way that's visible, and especially in the community of faith with other people. Now, you may be saying, why is that? I mean, can't you just do it on your own? (laughs) Well, there's just something about the way God shows up when we gather together corporately and worship Him. God shows up and reveals Himself in the community of faith. And you could easily say, and I think this is true, you're never more free than when you're worshiping Him. That's where you begin to experience real freedom. What does it look like? Notice what Samuel does. First of all, they pour water, they fast, and they say, we have sinned against the Lord. They begin with confession. They begin by admitting who they are before God. God, we haven't been doing very well, and we admit it. We've been blowing it. It hasn't been going well. (laughs) That's a healthy part of coming into God's presence. Worship at times means facing who you are before him. 
And then, then Samuel leads them in doing an offering. He takes a nursing lamb and he sacrifices this lamb. Well, we don't do that, right? I mean, what does sacrifice look for us? What are our offerings? It's very clear in Hebrews chapter 13, the kind of offerings we are to bring. Chapter 13 of Hebrews, verse 15, says this, Through him then, through Jesus, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. And do not neglect doing good and sharing. For with such sacrifices, God is pleased. What are our offerings? Praise. Lord, you're amazing. And I really want to acknowledge that from my heart. Thanksgiving. Lord, thank you for your salvation. Thank you for all the blessings. I don't deserve any of them because I'm a sinner. But you've given them to me and I thank you for them. And then look for ways to do good and share what God has blessed you with. Beautiful picture. And then Samuel prays. Prays for them. He cries out to the Lord for them. Verse 9, he took a suckling lamb and offered it for a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And Samuel cried to the Lord for Israel and the Lord answered him. He prayed. He prayed. Now you may be thinking, Samuel, you're calling the people together and the Philistines are gathering around. They're beginning to come down from the mountains. They're beginning to surround them with their much more powerful army. If you're calling them to do battle, why are you doing a worship service, Samuel? (laughs) That doesn't make a lot of sense. What about fighting the culture wars as Christians? We've got to defeat Satan, right? We've got to make sure we defeat the abortionists. We exert political power or pressure. We need to lobby for the family. It's falling apart. And what does Samuel do? None of that. He has a worship service. (laughs) You see, God may call some of us to engage with the culture to defeat social ills, and probably all of us should pray for that. But our greatest calling is to bring, if we're going to bring about freedom in our culture and freedom to people's lives around us, is personal repentance and corporate worship. Yeah, it doesn't make sense, does it? It sounds foolish. (laughs) But that is what God says, releases the power of God to defeat the enemy. That is what takes ground from the enemy when we repent and we encourage others to repent and we worship him. Look what God did as a result. Verse 10, Now Samuel was offering the burnt offering, and the Philistines drew near to battle against Israel. But the Lord thundered with a great thunder. Think for a moment. They had been following Baal. Baal was considered the god of the storm who controlled the weather. (laughs) God's saying, Baal has no power. Who controls the weather? I do. And he thundered with this mighty thunder on that day against the Philistines and confused them so that they were routed before Israel. The men of Israel went out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and struck them down as far as below Bethkar. (laughs) The Israels did have to pursue them. They did have to follow what God was doing. They engaged in the battle. That's true. 
but after only, only after God had essentially already won the battle. And then finally, what does Samuel do? He calls them to remember, to not forget what God has done. We're a forgetful people, aren't we? <laughs> God does something for us, takes care of us, and the next situation comes up, and we're terrified. Oh no, what's going to happen now? And we forget what God just did. Well, yeah, but, you know, God did that, but this is totally different. No, it's not. It may be a little different. But we could be like David. We'll be studying it in a while where he says, well, God help me fight the bear and the lion, this Philistine. You know, he's just going to be like them. We need to remember what God has done. So what does Samuel do? He takes a stone and he sets it up right where God won the battle. And he calls it Ebenezer. Ebenezer. I might have called it something else, but that's what he chose to call it. He calls the stone Ebenezer. You know that great hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing? There's that line in there that y'all often probably go, what's he talking about? Where he says, Here I raise my Ebenezer. Hither by thy help I'm come. Well, the author of that hymn took it directly from this passage. You see, an Ebenezer is a memorial stone. It's something you set up to remind yourself of what God did. I hope you have some memorial stones, some Ebenezers in your life, in your home, somewhere that you set up, oh yeah, God's faithful, I can trust Him, even now, because look what He did for me in the past. I have many Ebenezers. I hope you do too. Let me just give you one. Our house is an Ebenezer. <laughs> My parents were very ill. We decided to take them in with us. We were nine of us in a small house. We were crowded. We decided to look for a bigger home that had a mother-in-law type apartment where my parents could live and we could take care of them, be with them. But we looked all over the city. We had real estate, people looking. We couldn't find anything for months. So my parents were living with us. We're trying to figure this out. And then one day Rick Padour, one of our ushers, said, you know, the house across the street, I was talking to them. They actually have that kind of apartment. You might just talk to them and see what they have. We thought, okay, we might have to add on. Let's just see how they, how they put this together. We knocked on the door, said, hey, we heard you have this kind of apartment. Can we look at it? And they said, sure, you can come in. We'll show you around, but we, we, we don't want to sell. We don't want to move. And we, we said, oh, yeah, well, we understand that. We just want to see what you did, if that's okay. And they said, sure. So they showed us around. That was on a Saturday. On Monday, we got a phone call. They said, you know what? If we can work out a deal, actually, we would sell our house to you. We go, really? <laughs> really? Okay, well, we need to look at it again then and kind of look at it a little differently. So that was Monday. Saturday, we showed up again to look at it again, and we're looking at it differently, and we kind of talked about money, numbers, etc. And, and they said, no pressure, but we've already put earnest money down on another house. <laughs> we came up with a deal. We signed papers the next day. That house has been a memorial stone ever since. We've been able to tell that story and also use that house for the kingdom in all kinds of ways. I hope you have memorial stones. 
to encourage you, to remind you how God is faithful. And I hope you help others set up their memorial stones, their Ebenezer's, to remind them of how God has worked in the past so that it can encourage our faith in the present. Samuel's a great example for us. The chapter begins with the people oppressed, depressed, and a mess. (laughs) And it ends with them trusting God and free from oppression. The Philistines have been overwhelmed and they're worshiping God from the heart. Wow. Incredible freedom. How'd they get there? By simply following someone who was a person of integrity that was willing to speak truth when it needed to be spoken and point them to God. Notice Samuel never points them to himself. He just steps in and keeps pointing them to trust God, to follow him, to worship him from the heart. Amazing. (laughs) You know, we have few heroes together today. There's not a lot of leaders that we trust, are there? Seems like they're all consumed with status, power, money. But if we will choose to be like Samuel, to be people of integrity, who are watching for God to work and pointing people to our Lord, that they might trust Him. We can be used of God to bring freedom to a broken and enslaved world. Wow, God wants to use us. Isn't that amazing? Let's pray. Lord, it is amazing that you would choose to use us, even as we struggle with our own issues, yet you call us to come to you in repentance, worship you and find life in you, and to be signposts to point others to you as well. May we be people who reflect what Samuel reflects. A heart for you that's willing to love other people well by bringing them, leading them, pointing them to the freedom you offer us in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.